Thank you, Daniel. Good morning. Thank you for being here at Friendship Baptist Church. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John, please. John chapter 19. And we will look there in just a moment. If you were to ask me about the number one counseling issue that I've had to deal with through the years with precious people, not only in our church, but other people that I meet with that has caused more confusion and even misery, I mean misery of heart. It will be people that are struggling with the certainty of their salvation. People that have made a profession of faith and they're not 100% sure that if they were to die, that they were to go to heaven The Bible says that God is a God of peace, and He is, uh, in this very moment, at perfect tranquility, and He promises to give us that peace. And whenever there is confusion, whenever there is torture in your soul and mind, God did not give that to you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sins. And uh, that conviction is a miserable feeling, but that conviction will lead you to righteousness. And uh, when you come to Christ, He saves you, and He saves you from the misery. He saves you from that torture. And if you're here this morning and you've been saved, but sometimes you vacillate, you say, I'm not sure, and you go back and forth. I remember I was saved when I was nine years old, and I... I knew for sure that I was saved. And three, four, five years after that, there would be moments when I would vacillate. I wasn't for sure. I remember as a a teenage young man singing in the choir of our church on the front row. And there would be moments when I wasn't sure, 100% sure that if I were to die, that I would go to heaven. And then I would say, no, I know that I'm saved. But then I would wonder, I would wonder about it, never told anybody. But then there came a time when when I was able to get that settled. I'll talk to you about it in just a moment. But I want you to know that God offers you tranquility. He offers you a a quiet spirit. This is the will of God. Uh, He wants you not just that you can know that you can know that you're saved, but He wants you to have peace. Did you know that there's a little town in Texas? I looked it up on the map this week. It's just across the border from Louisiana, uh, kind of northwest of a Shreveport, so right across from, as you go, I-10 up there. It's called Uncertain, Uncertain, Texas. That's the name of it. Anybody ever been there? Population, 75 people. Nobody wants to live there. Can you imagine a conversation of somebody that lives there? Say, well, where do you live? I live in uncertain. You live where? I live in uncertain. Wait, uh, but I mean, where's your home? My home is uncertain. Well, I don't believe that. Oh, no, I'm certain that I live in uncertain. And if you were to speak with some people about that, they would say, you know, there's one thing that I know. I don't know that I'm saved, but I, I do know this, and I'm certain that I'm uncertain about it. Uh, 
when God does a work in your life, when He does a work in your home, when He does a work in a local church, it is absent. It is absent of turmoil. It's absent of confusion. When Satan shows up in your life, when he shows up in your family, when he shows up in a church, there's plenty of confusion, there's plenty of conflict, there's plenty of noise in your spirit. Listen, you can walk into a home, you can be with a person, you can walk into a local church and you can sense something is wrong here. Sometimes you can't put your finger on it. But you can sense something's wrong here. There's a lack of peace here. I love to uh, not just read the Bible, but I have a Bible reading plan that takes me through the Bible. and So I read uh, several chapters in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Psalms and the Proverbs every day. I'm reading through uh, Isaiah right now. And few weeks ago, I came to chapter 32 and verse 17, and I read this verse, a wonderful verse that just so blessed my life in recent years, and it fit in the message here. I want to share it with you. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17. Would you look at it with me? In the work of righteousness, only God can do a work of righteousness. You can't do that. This is God's work. In the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect, the the result, the result of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Isn't that a good verse? Some of you ought to memorize that verse. All of us ought to. Let's read it together. Read it out loud with me, will you? I think it's up on the screen there. Let's read it together. Ready? And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Some of you need that peace. And you're missing the joy of assurance. You know, people are, are attracted to religion because they, they like to do things. They like to feel things. They like to check off boxes. They like to measure things. How many chapters have they read in the Bible? How many church services have they been to? How many things they, they've done for God so that they can, they can feel righteous, so they can compare with others. Why, well, I'm, I'm doing better than them. I want you to understand something, that that will never give you peace. That will never give you assurance. Forgiveness and the assurance of being forgiven only comes from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Assurance and forgiveness is not something you earn, it's a gift you receive. And once you receive that gift, you just, you just enjoy it. And every single person here, you can enjoy the assurance of being fully forgiven of your sins. We come to this sixth statement of Jesus from the cross Uh, One of the most important things, if not the most important thing, Jesus ever said. It's hard to qualify that because he sure did say a lot of important things. This is is near the top if it's not the top. John chapter 19 and verse 29. Look with me. 
Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. It is finished. By the way, when he said this, he, he said it loudly. He, he didn't whisper this. And immediately after he said this, the Bible says he died. And he willingly died. We'll talk about that at another time. It speaks to his mission. It speaks to his purpose. And it speaks to the security of your salvation. Now, when Jesus said, it is finished, this is not a statement of resignation. This is not a statement of defeat. It's not a statement of weakness. It's finished. It's over. Finally. My suffering is over. Now, that's true. But when he said, it is finished, it is a statement of victory. It is a statement of completion. It is a statement that that this is over. Now, it is finished is three words in the English. But the New Testament was written in Greek. And the shades of the Greek are are so so deep and so broad that it's it's one word in the Greek. And it's... Ten letters, and it's the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. The root word is telos, which means to to finish. But tetelestai is an interesting word. It means it is finished, it stands finished, and it always will be finished. It is finished, it stands finished. And it always will be finished. That's what Jesus said. It is finished. You know, I don't know about you, but I start some projects, but I don't finish them. Everything Jesus started, he finished. And whatever he said here when he referred to it is finished was very, very important because it was a cry of victory. Now, these three words that are given to us in English, this is the outline of the message. It is the first idea I want to talk to you about. Is is the second idea. And finished, if we get to it, is the third idea. It is finished. The word it, what does that speak of? It speaks about our salvation. It, what is he talking about? Well, the the immediate context in the verse doesn't talk about our redemption, but but the the broader perspective, you cannot miss that Jesus is not speaking about his suffering, though it includes that. He's speaking about redemption's program. He's speaking about your salvation. He's speaking about all that was necessary to be completed so that you could go to heaven. That's what it is. It is finished. He's speaking about salvation's plan. Calvary was the the hinge point of history. All of the Old Testament pointed towards it. All of the New Testament reflects back upon it. In fact, the the New Testament doesn't the Bible doesn't make sense without Calvary. 
If you didn't have Calvary, the Old Testament wouldn't make sense. All of the prophecies, all of the symbols, all of the things that the priests did. Our journey wouldn't make sense. A lot of things in the New Testament would not make sense. And the older I have grown, the more meaningful the cross has gotten to me. And, and what Jesus said on the cross, the more that I love Him and, and, and what He has accomplished for me. In fact, the statement that He made earlier when He said, Father, my God, my God, rather, why have you forsaken me? That's when he bore our sin debt. And now he's saying it is finished. It speaks back to his mission. Let me show you how broad this is. You back, go back thousands of years earlier when God created the world and he put Adam and Eve in it. And we don't know when Adam and Eve sinned. The Bible doesn't tell us. Most people think it was, it was early on in the garden when Satan deceived Eve and Adam rebelled against God. But in the very dawn of creation, we see God give a promise that there would be a Redeemer. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, He is addressing Satan through the serpent. And here's what He says, And I will put enmity between thee, talking to Satan, between thee and the woman, that is the woman's seed, and between thy seed and her seed. Because the seed of the woman was going to come the Messiah. And watch this. It, that is the seed of the woman, will bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Now here's the significance of that. Uh, Brother Mike is back here. He's had uh, some surgery there. And he can vouch for us this morning. I sent him a note last week. And asked him how he was doing, and I said, well, I said, I've been praying for you. I said, I know that that's really a tough surgery. I said, I didn't want to tell you that before you had it. But uh, I said, I've been praying for you because I know how difficult that surgery is for you to go through. I've heard people that have had right there on the foot is very, very difficult. And when you have a, even a bruised heel... It's, it's difficult because of the weight bearing and etc. And that speaks of, of what happened when Jesus was, was upon the cross. But what's worse than, than having a, a bruised heel is having a, a bruised head. Because listen, that is a mortal wound. Because though Satan bruised the heel metaphorically of Jesus and crucified him, that Jesus' death was the death of death and the death of Satan... It was a mortal wound for the enemy, the enmity, the enemy of God. And so here in Genesis 3.15, you have the first promise of the Messiah going all the way back when there's only two people on the planet. And now Jesus in John 19 and verse 30, listen, he says, it, it is finished. What is finished? The bruising of the head. It's over. I've conquered the devil. Redemption's plan is over. This speaks of our salvation. The promise of salvation goes back further even than creation. It goes back into eternity past before God ever created the world. This, this is a wonderful thought. It's hard to conceive that when God knew that he was going to create the world, 
that he knew that Adam and Eve were going to rebel against him and that they would have children and their children's children coming on down to us and that we would rebel against God and that we would need a Redeemer. And rather than creating a new race, God sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to be our Redeemer, to be our Savior. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 18, the Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, with corruptible things as silver and gold, that's money. You cannot buy salvation. You can't pay for it. There, there, there's no amount of money, no amount of riches that can purchase your redemption. Nor, here's another corruptible thing, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now that's, that's a long statement. The word vain means empty. It means futile. The word conversation means a lifestyle. It means the traditional religious system. You're not redeemed by riches. You're not redeemed by religion. You don't go to heaven because you're a Baptist. There's not a Baptist way to heaven. There's not a Catholic way to heaven. There's not an Episcopalian way to heaven. There's a Jesus way to heaven. You see, the Bible says these are corruptible things that cannot redeem you. You're not redeemed with these corruptible things, but but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Look at this. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus was speaking about your redemption. It is finished. What was finished? Your salvation. You don't have to strive. I'm told that when they train lifeguards, that they tell them that as long as someone is struggling, you cannot save them because they will take you under. I've even heard that, uh, I don't know if this is true, but they've taught lifeguards that if someone's out there and, and they're frantic, that uh, it's okay to slug them and knock them out to get them to stop so that you can bring them into shore to save their life. And the picture is this, you cannot be saved until you stop struggling. Faith is not trying, faith is resting. My favorite synonym for faith is is resting. It's not what you do. You know, in our vocabulary as as Christians, sometimes when you grow up in church, we give definitions to faith and trust, and we have our own dictionary and definitions. You say, well, I believe in faith, you know. I've trusted Christ, and I've joined the church. I've trusted Christ, and I've been baptized. I've trusted Christ and plus, I've trusted Christ plus. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And you're only saved when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Plus nothing and minus nothing. It's Jesus. Now, I've said this to you before. It's been a long time since I've said said it. I remember the first time I heard it. It first kind of shook me. Because I thought it was disrespectful. But the longer I thought of it, I thought, it's right, it's right. And here's a statement. Speaking of myself 
If I go to hell, it's Jesus' fault. If I go to hell, it's Jesus' fault. I've been baptized. I'm not trusting my baptism. I'm a church member. I'm not trusting my church membership. I try to do good things for people. I'm not trusting those good things. I'm trusting Jesus and Him alone. Period. Nothing else. Do you know why? Because when He was on the cross, He said, It. it. He didn't say, I am finished, because He rose from the dead. It is finished. Redemption's plan is over. In 1998, in July, the end of July, I was in Israel uh, with a small group. I think about 20 of us with Price Harris. And and one of the stops we made there was outside the, the walls of Jerusalem, the traditional site. And they have good, good uh, great evidence to indicate that this is where the Lord Jesus was crucified. It's called Gordon's Calvary. Won't go into all that. You can study that on your own. It's very near what they call the garden tomb today. Some of you have been there. And I remember walking up there and, and just looking looking at Calvary and the sight. You can still see the the outline of the skull, the eyes and the nose and the appearance of the mouth. And, and just being by myself and thinking that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, died for my sin. But not only was I looking at it 2,000 years ago, the Heavenly Father was looking down from heaven upon His Son as He bore His wrath in your stead, in my stead. And He cried up on that lonely hill. He said, it is finished. And he said it for you and he said it for me. It is finished. Tetelestai. It is finished. It will always be finished. It stands finished. It's over. It is finished. It is. Is. It represents our salvation. What does is? I hope you can hear me. What does is stand for? It stands for our standing, our state, our standing. It is, it is. My standing with God is secure because, listen, the work of Jesus Christ is present tense. When Jesus said, it is finished, it wasn't just true then, it is true now. His death atoned for your sins and my sins. The word atoned means covered them permanently and completely. And will cover them for eternity. Not just when I got saved, but until the moment I die and all through eternity. And listen, this is where your assurance comes from. Not because you feel it. Truth is not a result of emotion. Emotion comes from truth. It is because of your standing, because of your state, which comes because of of doctrine. 
And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was God's declaration that I have accepted the sacrifice that my son gave on behalf of sinful people. And I have approved that sacrifice. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible says that Jesus was declared, he was declared to be the Son of God with power. Now, demons declared him to be the Son of God. But the Father, here, the Father declared him to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. And look at this, or the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead. Right now in heaven, and we looked at this uh, last week when Jesus said, I thirst. We have an advocate. Right now in heaven, God has accepted and still accepts present tense the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus to be fully satisfactory, to be the payment for your sin and my sin. And it means my, my, my salvation is settled. I'm good to go, not because I'm a good man, but because he's a good Savior. He satisfied the justice and the wrath of God, and I rest my case in him. I don't have a strong faith, but I have a strong Savior. And he took care of it. It is, it is my salvation. Is, is my standing. When John the Baptist saw Jesus on the shores of that day of Galilee, he pointed to him in John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day John, that is John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, and I want you to notice what he said, Behold the Lamb of God, a couple of things here, which taketh away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Of the world. You see, the, the sacrifices that the priests had been offered could cover the sins from year to year, but the book of Hebrews says they were ongoing. You had to keep going. Only the sacrifice of Jesus took away your sin. You don't, you don't have to keep getting saved over and over and over again. Let me tell you something I don't believe in. I don't believe this. Listen carefully. Somebody comes to me and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I got saved. Well, let's make sure. You need, to, you need to be sure. Let's go ahead and pray and make sure. I'm going to tell you why I don't believe in that. Because you are putting your assurance in a prayer. Let's make sure. You're not sure. Let's make sure. Hebrews 6 says you're building Another foundation of repentance. And if you doubted the first prayer or the second prayer, you're going to doubt that prayer too. Because you're looking for a feeling. Now either you're saved or you're lost. You say, well, I'm I'm not sure. Okay, I, I understand that part of it. But you're not going to get assurance by doing another religious act. Only Jesus Christ can take away your sin. I want you to get this. Watch. Look what John said. He said, behold the Lamb. Watch this. The Lamb of God. When Jesus died, He didn't just die for you, but He died for God. 
Because the Father was the one whose justice had to be propitiated, had to be satisfied. The Father wasn't in heaven gleefully clapping His hands. No, His heart was broken. He sent His Son. There was sorrow over this. There was grief over this. But the justice had to be satisfied. And the genius of the gospel is not just the love of the gospel, but that the Son could be both love and righteousness to come and to satisfy the justice of God so that I stand in God's presence accepted fully so that God cannot send me to hell, not because I'm good, but because it's His own Word. Have you ever noticed when you confess your sins in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We focus a lot on the love of God, and we should. But I'm going to tell you the reason you're kept. You're kept as a Christian is not because of the love of God, but because of the justice of God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He can forgive you of your sins because of the justice of God. This is so good. In Isaiah 53 and verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Again, the word pleased doesn't mean he was delighting in it. It means God was satisfied that the demands of the law, when it was broken, that the punishment was paid by his son. He was pleased that the sacrifice was made. For he had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. We studied that. How he not only gave his body, he gave his soul. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. And shall be satisfied. These are important verses. The Father is satisfied with His Son, not you. How self-righteous it is. Well, I I just don't know if I'm saved. I, I just don't feel like it. I just, no, 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 it's not about you. How self-righteous that is. How condescending it is to the gift of His Son. The Father is satisfied by His knowledge of my righteous servant. That's the Lord Jesus Justify many, for he shall bear, he shall bear their iniquities. And he did that for me. He paid my debt. It would be like if I had an outstanding bill somewhere and I'd heard that someone in our church went by to this company and you paid that bill in full. And then I went by. And I said, listen, I, I need I have to make a payment on this bill. I can't pay it on. They said, oh, no, your bill is paid. Well, I know they did, but I, I, I want to make a payment on it too. Sir, you don't understand. You don't owe any money. You're in good stead with us. You do not owe any money. This bill is paid in full. You don't owe anything. But, but I feel like I do. I still feel like I'm in debt. No, you are not a debtor. You're clean. We don't even see you. In fact, there's... You're good. You know what makes me do that? It is my pride. I want to contribute something. 
It is a humbling thing to want to receive a gift from someone. And especially eternal life, what the Father has given to us. The Bible says when Jesus said, he said, it is finished. It is for your salvation. It is 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 for your standing. It is a standing of approval. There is no condemnation. There's no parole. There is no conditions attached. Well, if you if you'll just stop smoking and you'll stop cussing. I believe you ought to live right, but listen, you're going to live right because of who is in you. It's what Jesus does in you. It's not the conditions that God accepts you if you will do these things. Don't you understand that? Those of you that have children, you understand this. You just love your children because of who they are. How much more the Father loves His children. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And don't let the latter clause throw you. He's describing the nature of a Christian. Our nature is to walk after the Spirit. I've been saved. My, my nature is, is, is not to walk after my flesh. Sometimes, like a sheep, I, I, in Second Peter 2, I, I get dirty, but I don't enjoy it. But my nature is to walk after the Spirit. But I have this underlined. There is therefore now, now, right now, no condemnation. To them which are not in the church, not in the baptistry, not in the Ten Commandments, but in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation. God doesn't condemn you. He's not shaming you. God loves you. He, he, he sees you through a lens of grace. He sees you through the, through the blood of His Son. He he favors you. The word favor is an important word in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You are graced. You are blessed. Some of you, my my brother-in-law told me this. A few days after my sister died, he said, you know, Melanie told me that when she would counsel, my sister had a degree in counseling and and she had a responsibility to counsel people to Christian school. And she would counsel kids and parents and so forth. And Bill said that Melanie often told me that people had a real problem extrapolating their view of their father onto God. And, and felt like, well, God won't accept me because of how their father had treated them. Based on their performance. Well, I tell you what. I know you got bees, but you can do better. I tell you what. Well, let, let's wait on that hug. Let's wait on congrats. You can do better. Everything attached to that. And Bill said that, Melanie said, Bill, I never had that problem because of my dad. I never had a problem with who God was because of my father. And I told my brother-in-law, I said, Bill, I tell my church that a lot. And I said, I have to be careful 
Because I said, I think some people don't believe it. And I said, I know everybody didn't, doesn't have that privilege. But I'm going to tell you, listen carefully. I'm going to tell you why that's true of my father. It's not what you think. It's not because my dad never sinned or it's not because my father had all of these things together. There was one quality. There were other qualities, but there was one primary quality. It was because my father was a man of mercy. My dad, my dad's heart was so big and merciful. And when we messed up, he didn't always remind us. And he didn't give us second chances. He gave us 10 and 15 and 20 and 50 chances. And so when we got into our relationship with God, we believed that God just loves me. And so maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've been kicked in the teeth by authority. And you're struggling with this thing where you, you have this, this spirit of condemnation in you. You have this spirit of rejection. And you just feel like, well, well preacher, I, I feel like I always have to perform. Well, listen, you don't perform with God. He performs for you. And He loves you unconditionally. You're not on parole. It's unconditional. It's finished. It's tetelestai. It's over. If you have a bad day, you have a bad day. I'm not talking about just sinning. I'm talking about, hey, you know what? I'm just fine. I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. No, you're not. You've been grumpy. And God still loves you. God still can keep you. It is finished. This is your this is your state. This is where you're at. We we there is therefore now, now no condemnation. God doesn't condemn you. These are some of my favorite verses. I want you to notice the word blessing or blessed here. The word blessed means favor. God shows you His favor, His approval. Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not. You know, the most righteous thing you can do is believe God. Not to work, but to believe God. There's a place for works. But not with your salvation. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. You know the only kind of people God justifies are ungodly people. The people that cuss and swear and drink and smoke and run around and rebel. Those are the only kind of people God saves. Not the righteous. Well, I need to clean my act up. I was working with a young man trying to get him to the cross. He didn't want to get saved. And I said, well, tell me what's keeping you from trusting Christ. He said, well, I need to do better. I want to get to the place where if I, if I could just do better. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, let's say that, that you had a deadly disease, but there was a cure for it. And I knew the doctor. And I said, you need to go to this doctor. And you said, well, I know I need to go to the doctor, but I want to get better. 
You're dying of this disease. I want to get better, and then I'll go see the doctor. And it was like a light turned on for him. He said, well, when you put it like that, I had never thought of it like that. I said, listen, hospitals are for sick people. And Jesus is for sinners. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save people that are well. He came to raise spiritually dead people. Believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. The word counted means imputed. It's a financial term. It means that you've got this money and you impute it on this ledger. So I'm looking at this ledger. Rather than indebtedness, it's now imputed, paid in full. Tetelestai. It is finished. This is my standing. I owed all this money. I don't owe anything now. You know why? Because my faith is counted for righteousness. I don't owe God anything now. I owe him a debt of love. Now, I know I hear people say, well, if I believe that, I would sin. No, you wouldn't. You would love him because you owed a debt you could not pay and he paid a debt he did not owe. And you would love him and you would serve him all of your days. Even as David also describeth the blessedness, the joyfulness, the favor of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Listen, stop. If you're here and you're trying to be saved, you can't be saved that way. If you're trying to have assurance of saved, you're not going to get it that way. You have to abandon yourself to God. The blessedness saying, here's the second use, blessed. These people have favor, they have joy, are those whose iniquities are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. My sins are gone. My sins are covered. My iniquities are forgiven. They're paid in full. Say, are you happy about that? Yes, I'm happy. It means I can come into the throne room of God, not because I'm a good man. I'm not a good man. But somebody else paid my debt. It is finished. Ted Lestai, I have a new standing. Blessed, here's the third verse of the third time the word is used, is a man, now look at this, to whom the Lord, it doesn't say cannot, it says will not impute sin. He will not impute sin on your ledger account after your say. He will not. In the legal jargon, it will be double jeopardy. He can't. You know why? He's just. The penalty's already paid. He will not impute that sin if you've been justified. Oh, this is a blessed thought. I can pillow my head. I talked to one of my friends, and I'll not mention his name. You know him well, and he has cancer now. And his blood pressure has been dangerously low. He told his wife the other night. He said, "I," she said, "Are you afraid to go to sleep tonight?" He said, "Well, I am a little bit." 
His blood pressure was very low. He said, I went to sleep anyway until I can get all of this, all this stuff worked out. You can pillow your head at night. Some of you, you don't sleep well. You don't rest well. The effect of righteousness is quietness. Melanie, my sister, would tell me, she said, I, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die and leave my daughters and my sons and my grandchildren. But I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to die right now. Some of you are afraid to die. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not animosity, not enmity, but I want you to notice the tense of the verb. We have, present tense. It is finished. This is my standing. I have peace with God right now. Now, there's a difference in having peace with God and the peace of God. This is my legal standing. You can have peace with God and I have peace of God. But I have peace with God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. The word perish means everlasting destruction, eternal death and loss. You should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is God's gift to you. This is your state. This is your state right now. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him, through Christ, might be saved. What? Look, he that believeth on Christ is not present tense. Present is is it is finished. It is finished. He that believeth on him is not condemned is not condemned now if you're not saved the bible says you're condemned already you're you're presently condemned but if you come to christ you're not condemned and some of you don't have assurance because you've been sinning and the holy spirit is not giving witness to your spirit But you have peace with God. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, Jesus said, hath, hath, present tense, everlasting life, right now. And shall not come into condemnation. You will not, ever, because of what you have right now. And it's passed from death unto life. You have spiritual life. You need to feed it. Feed your inner man. I read these verses at Daisy McCree's graveside. John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus said, I give them. It's a gift. You don't earn it. I give them, this is a gift of eternal life, and they shall never perish. The idea there, never, no, never, ever, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, 
which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. They shall never perish. Never. Now here's an eternal perspective in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom God did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. So the predestination here is the idea of spiritual maturity, predestined to become like Jesus, the image of His character. That Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren when He was raised from the dead, and then we will be raised after Him. We are His brothers in that sense. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, our Heavenly Father, them in the past, looking from eternity past, He also called... Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now here's what he's saying. Before there was a world, God knew who he was going to call. He knew who was going to justify and he knew who was glorified. Listen, here's what that means. In the past, now your heart is still beating. Now stay with me. According to Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, You're glorified in God's mind right now. God sees you as perfect and glorified in His mind, and you're staying in heaven. It is finished. It is finished. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Nobody can do that. Nobody can counter God on this. Who is he that condemneth? Who can condemn who God has justified? It is Christ. Look at this. It died. Yea, rather, he's risen again. He's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And I spent a lot of time on that recent weeks. He's interceding for us. He's my advocate. As long as he lives, even to the uttermost. He's my guarantor for heaven. John six forty seven, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath, hath, hath everlasting life. Right now. Have you trusted Christ? Did you mean it? Hath, right now. Not will have. Not as long as you behave. Not as long as you're faithful to church. So you ought to be. If you meant it, the Bible says, hath right now everlasting life. Jesus' words to Lazarus' family outside of his tomb. John eleven twenty six, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never, shall never die. Speaking of eternal death, believeth thou this? Now there is a physical death that some of us will face. Some of us won't when the rapture comes. But we will never taste eternal death. Never. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's a transition. First John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the record. This is what changed me. I told you about being in the choir. 
Sometimes I doubt my salvation. I'd want to respond and go talk to somebody. And I tell you, listen, you deal with people, please, please, please don't do this. Well, if you're not sure, let's go ahead and make sure. Let's go ahead and drive the stake. Well, they've already got four stakes. You'll give them another one. And then they're going to go on another red hot serve. They're going to drive another one. No, no, no. It's just an, it's, it's not another religious act. This, what, what he describes in this verse is, is the way I got through and I got over this, this doubt in my mind. And I see, I got saved when I was nine years old. I know I did. Watch this. Verse John 5, 11, And this is the record that God hath given to us, a gift, eternal life. This life is in His Son. Not the church, not the baptistry. It's in Christ. And He emphasized, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now watch this. I have this underlined. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to Christians. Specifically in 1 John, but in a general sense the Bible. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now usually people use 1 John 5.13 to show that, hey, see, the Bible says you can know that you're saved. Well, yeah, that's what it says. But that's more than that. These things have I written that you may know. Now stay with me. So if I don't know these things, I'm not going to know I have eternal life. You know what I wasn't doing when I was 12, 13, 14, 15 years old? I didn't have my head in the book. I wouldn't read my Bible. And you, if you're not reading these things, you're not going to know. The moment I began to get my head in the Word of God and see what God said, I gave the sword of the Spirit to the Word of God and it began to cut down all of the doubt. He transformed my life in that area. And uncertainty, I didn't live in uncertainty anymore. It was gone. One more verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively, a lively hope. A hope that gives life. Which is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We, we just don't have a, a doctrinal hope. The lively hope is Jesus. He is our hope. Which is to an inheritance. Incorruptible. Undefiled. And it fades not away. Now what? These are the words of God. Reserved. 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 Reserved in heaven for you. 
Now, my friends, if God has a reservation, he's going to keep it. Who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. The word kept there means a military garrison. You're protected by the army. And boy, they were used to seeing Rome's army with all their shields, all of their brass. Boy, it's powerful. Who are kept. They're kept. They're protected. You know what my protection is? The power of God. When my mind is feeble. When my body is feeble. When my emotions are feeble. God has reserved a place in heaven for me. And I am kept by the power of God. It is finished. Tetelestai. It speaks to my salvation. Is speaks to my standing. And that's how, all I'm going to go. We'll finish up finish next time. I wonder if you're here today and you're not 100% sure that if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. If you've never been saved, you need to be saved. You do that by coming to Jesus. You say, God, I am a mess. I've broken your law. I've rebelled against you. And I need to be saved.